this mission trip. There's also another one. If you're interested, uh, we have a mission trip that's going to be going out uh, to Redcliffe Bible Camp. We've been there often before. And so that's going to be taking place at the end of July to the beginning of August. If you are interested in that, you can let Brother Chuck Clute know about that as well. Uh, please take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, although we're not going to get there until point 3. We're going to go through a checklist of assurance of salvation. We've been going through that, and uh, we've taken a little bit of a break. So I'm going to review uh, the different main themes that we've gone through thus far, and then we'll look at tonight. So the first one is, I know I'm saved because I have personally believed the truth of the gospel, and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ Based on God's word. Number two, I know I'm saved because the Holy Spirit dwells in me. Number three, I know I'm saved because my relationship with the Bible has changed. And now here is tonight's, I know I'm saved because my nature is changing, resulting in a changing lifestyle. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, Paul writing to those of us who are saved he says, and you have to quickened. Middle English word for what? Make alive. You as he literally given life. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life. We know that that is a gift. It is not something that we can fabricate, that we can earn, work up. It is a gift from God. You have he quickened. Made alive. What a miracle of the grace of God who were dead in trespasses and sin. Your whole nature was changed. At one time, you were the slave of sin. You were dead to God. You were dead to the things of God. You had no relationship with God other than that God was your creator and would someday be your eternal judge. But when you came to the place where you understand that the righteous, just, holy God is also a God of love and grace and mercy. And he offered himself in the person of his son on the cross as the full payment sacrifice for sin, that he died shedding his blood, paying the price for your sin. He died, was buried, and rose again, and you called on him by faith. You have passed from death into life. You've been given the gift of everlasting life. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Bible says, If any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature, a new creation. All things are what? Passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And that word become is in what's called in the Greek, the linear tense. In other words, it's an ongoing thing. Sounds rather rough in modern English to put it this way, but it would be accurate to say all things keep on becoming new. So, my, that's what I'm saying. My nature has changed. I was dead. Now I'm alive. I only had a sin nature. Now I also have the new nature. My life has changed, but it will change and should be changing until the day I die. But one of the evidences is that that change is taking place. So, four main thoughts tonight that I want to encourage you with. I know I'm saved because my nature is changing, resulting in a changing lifestyle. Number one, I was unrighteous and unholy, but now I am cleansed and justified. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. The Bible says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, or abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But now ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Aren't you glad that you were, though you were unrighteous and unholy, now you have been cleansed from your sin, you have been justified. But God is doing a sanctifying work. What does the word sanctify mean? It means to set apart, to make holy. So there's two things, two parts of set apart. The first part is what? I am set apart from what? I'm set apart from sin. Is that where it stops? No. What's the other part? I am a set apart to God's service or to the glory of God, right? And what glorifies God? Transformed life. So my nature has changed and is changing. I was unrighteous and unholy. Now I'm cleansed and justified. Number two, I was enslaved by sin, but now I'm the servant of righteousness. That's almost a verbatim quote from Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. But God be thanked that ye were, get that, ye were the servants of sin. Can a Christian still sin, yes or no? Can a Christian practice sin? But not for long. That's exactly right, Brother John. Yes, a Christian can practice sin, but not for long. Why not? And this is going to be part of what we're going to look at later. Whom the Lord loveth, what does he do? And then what? Every son whom he receiveth. What son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Kind of stealing next Sunday night's thunder a little bit. But God deals with us as with his children. Right? If you can practice sin and there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit, and by the way, conviction, we use this word, I felt convicted, we'll use that phrase. Can you realize that conviction is not a feeling, it's a statement? In a court of law, if somebody is convicted of murder and the person is condemned and sentenced to a life in person, they say, but judge, I don't feel like a murderer. What's the judge going to say? So what? All the evidence is laid out. And you have been found guilty and convicted and sentenced. And the Holy Spirit does the same thing in the hearts of believers. Now, should we be tender to that? Should we be broken? Oh, Psalm 51, a, con- a broken and a contrite spirit, O oh Lord, that will not despise. Yeah, God wants us to be broken over our sin. It ought to grieve us when we grieve the Lord because he's the one we're to love with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And when we disappoint the one whom we love, it ought to deeply grieve us. But if you can practice sin and there is no dealing of the Holy Spirit with you and you can jump into sin and practice sin and God's hand of discipline and correction never comes down upon you, you better put a big question mark over whether you're saved according to the scriptures. Now, don't misunderstand. Sometimes... That chastening is not the split second that you commit that sin. You will often, God will give you an opportunity as his Holy Spirit is speaking to you for you to repent and make things right. But if you do not repent, then certainly you will endure the chastening. That is a promise of God. We'll look at that more next week.
But I was enslaved by sin. Now I'm the servant of righteousness. God be thanked. You were the servants of sin, but ye have, look at this, obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. What is that? Repent and believe the gospel. Now what? Being then made free from sin. He became the servants of righteousness. Jesus said, no man, Matthew 6, 24, no man can do what? Serve two masters. Either he will love the one and hate the other, or he'll hold to the one and despise the other. But you know what one of the assumed statements in that verse is? You have a master. It is a lie of the devil that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden that you can be your own boss and serve only yourself. Now, certainly, you can indulge your flesh, but don't ever for a minute think you're being in control of your life. Either God is your master or the world, your flesh, and the devil. And let me tell you one, it is a whole lot better to serve the master. He said, come unto me, all you that weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. It is a delight to serve a perfect boss, if I may put it that way. A perfect master. A perfect owner. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God, and you are what? Oh, I can't hear you. You are? Hmm. So you've been made free from sin, right? And the penalty of sin. But you're not your own. Why? You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. On the cross, Jesus not only purchased our redemption, he bought the entirety of our lives, and he owns us. And he is a wonderful master. He owns us by right of creation. He owns us by right of redemption. And he has nothing but his glory and our good at heart. And now, this is where we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And I told Pastor Mike, because of the VBS meeting, I'm going to try to be mindful of the time. I could preach an entire message just on this passage of Scripture. Ephesians 4, 22 to 32. We're going to read it in its entirety. But here is the next statement. Number one, I know I'm saved because my nature is changing, resulting in a changed lifestyle because I was unrighteous and unholy. Now I'm cleansed and justified. Number two, I was enslaved by sin. Now I'm the servant of righteousness. Number three, here it is. I am putting off the old nature and putting on the new nature. Look with me in Ephesians 4, verse 22. The Bible says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So let me lay a little bit of foundation here. Here is the pattern of spiritual growth for a believer. First, I put off the old nature. They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affection and lusts. Right? So I am to say no to sin. I'm supposed to say yes to God, but I have to actively put off concerning the former conversation. How do I do that? First of all, first John 1 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I confess, I'm a legato. I speak the same as God about my sin to him, making things right so I can be restored in fellowship with him. And then what do I do? Then I forsake that sin. He, Proverbs 28, 13, that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. 
And then what do I do? There's a third step to help me with that. And that's Romans 13, 11. And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. I take practical steps to make sure that I'm making it as hard on my sinful flesh to fulfill itself as possible. And so, uh, let me give a little, little illustration of this. There was, um, I was preaching meetings at Southeast Baptist Tabernacle, uh, Pastor John Ray, Indianapolis, Indiana area. And uh, this lady, older Christian lady, after the service came up, brought a younger Christian lady with her and introduced this lady and said, she just got saved and we're going through discipleship and all of that. And I wanted her to just kind of get the practice of sharing her testimony. And, uh, and so she began to share her testimony, how she was, and one of the things she mentioned was just, she was saved out of a life of alcoholism. And so I just asked her this question. I said, so, so Debbie, what do, what do you do now so that you're not tempted to return to that lifestyle of alcoholism? I mean, are you, would you ever be tempted to drink again? Or is God completely taking that away? She goes, oh, no, I know that I'd be tempted to drink. She said, you know, it used to be when I would drive home from work, I would pass the bar where I'd always stop and drink with my friends. And she said, I know that if I were to stop just to, to go in there and just say hi to my friends, that... I'd be tempted to drink and I'd probably give in because, I'm, you know, oh, you don't want to appear to be standoffish and all this kind of thing. And so I said, so what do you do then to avoid that temptation? She says, I drive home a different way from work. Amen. I'm not tempted to go in the bar because I'm not even driving by it. I'm talking about those kind. I can give you illustration after illustration of those kind of things. Let the Spirit of God help you. You know where your battle with the flesh is and where you're tempted And folks, we can't avoid all temptation, right? But did not Jesus tell us in the pattern prayer to pray and Lord lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Could not also in principle apply also to foreseeing areas of temptation and taking practical steps to avoid the possibility of our flesh fulfilling itself. We're already going to be bombarded with enough temptation to sin, enough enticement to sin. Let's do what we can to not make provision for the flesh. So we confess, we forsake, and don't make provision for the flesh. But now I want you to see this pattern because it's put off, put off the old man, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How does that happen? The washing of regeneration by the word of God. I read the word of God every day and I find verses in the word of God that apply to where I'm growing in my spiritual life and are going to equip me, whether it is I'm growing in wanting to share the gospel with others, so memorizing verses on the gospel, or whether it is some, some temptation that I've been struggling with, and, or, or maybe it's something even like fear. I've been battling fear and it's become a spiritual struggle and I'm tempted to yield into fear and I need to choose faith over fear. So I'm memorizing some verses so that I can meditate on those verses so that I can be victorious in my Christian life, in pleasing God and being changed in my character. So put off, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on. All right? So look at this pattern. And I'm gonna, I could preach through this whole passage, a bunch of application. I'm going to try to be careful not to do that tonight. But I want you to see the pattern. All right? So look, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Wherefore, putting the white line, put off the old sin nature. By the way, my parents taught me some spiritual math. A half-truth equals a whole lie. The idea here is that we don't just technically speak a lie, but that we do not practice deceit. The Bible says provide things honest in the sight of all men. Amen? 
Okay? So, we're to put away lying, deceit. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. That's the new nature we put on. We are to speak the truth. Why? Because we are to be like Christ. And Christ said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the... Did Jesus ever speak one untrue word? And do you think he wants us to speak untruth? Absolutely not. And then look at this. This is an interesting thing. Here is the chain renewed in the spirit of your mind. Here's the thought for we are members one of another. Again, I could preach on that. I'm gonna let you meditate on that. But there is a deep truth here in the fact that my sin always affects others as well as myself in ways that I don't anticipate. All right, let's move on. Be angry, or it could also be translated, when you are angry, sin not. Can I help it the instant I'm tempted to be angry and have an angry reaction? No. Okay? Is anger always a sin? No. God is angry with the wicked every day, but God's anger is a perfect anger. And you know what? Ours can be a perfect anger. But when you're angry, do not allow it to lead to sin. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. So what's the idea there? Be angry means that I deal with that situation immediately in a way that is pleasing to God. When I'm angry, don't sin. All right, I, I see that I'm going to be tempted to have a fleshly, ungodly response here. I need to, I need to deal with this situation, whether I need to lovingly go to somebody and confront them or whatever it is that I need to do uh, by the grace of God in a way that is scriptural to deal with the situation, but not continue to allow anger to fester in my heart. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither, and here's the thought, neither give place to the devil. Give him an inch and he'll take a mile. And you know how many Christians' testimonies and effectual witnesses have been painfully wounded because of anger? How many children growing up in Christian homes have been affected by dad's or mom's anger. Now, young person, you must give account before God and cannot say, well, my mom, my dad, you know, I'm like this because they were like that and, and, and I can blame my parents for why I don't want to live for God now, okay? That does not hold water with God. That, doesn't, that, that is not legit, okay? You must make your choices and you can make godly choices no matter what choices your parents have made. But moms and dads, God does hold us responsible and accountable for our actions and our example and our influence on our children. What better way to have an influence on our children than to be willing to acknowledge our struggles and to pattern this change as an example before them. Put off the old sin nature. Be renewed in the spirit of my mind through the meditation and through obedience and the practice of the word of God putting on the new man, putting on Christ's likeness. And that gives our children hope that though they also struggle with sin and they are so imperfect, they see mom and dad are too, but God is changing mom and dad as they willingly, obediently submit themselves to the word of God and make biblical willful choices to, uh, to put off the old nature and put on the new nature. Again, all this in complete dependence upon the grace of God and the authority of God's word. And they see consistency in mom and dad. But how much damage has been done 
to testimonies and influence because of anger. Look at verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing that is good, that he may have to to give to him that needeth, instead of stealing from others which hurts them, because I'm selfish and want what I want right away. Instead, I work. And not only am I working, so instead of stealing, I work. I'm not only put off the sin of stealing, but now I am putting on working and earning money. But what is the change of thought there? It's a whole change of attitude. It's from selfishness to selflessness, to have, to give to him that needeth. Before, I'm greedy and I'm selfish and I'm willing to hurt other people to get what I want. But now I am working and I'm willing to sacrifice and work hard, not only so that I can be responsible to provide for those needs which I have, but to have to give to others who are in need. You see the change of thinking And these changes, as we see God working them in their lives, again, these are confirmations that we have been saved and that God is doing this work in our life. Because, folks, in John 15, 5, Jesus said, for without me, he can do nothing. If you only have one nature, the sin nature, that nature is dead to God and the things of God, you're not going to change. Not in any spiritual way. You must be spiritually alive to have a spiritual change. Let's continue on. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. This goes beyond cursing, folks, or taking God's name in vain. This is gossip. This is backbiting. This is talking about filthy things, jesting about those things which in the Middle English, in King James Version says, are not convenient. They're very improper And by the way, anything that is corrupt has the potential to corrupt. So let no corrupt communication could also be, let no corrupt, which can also has the potential to corrupt others. Let no corrupt or corrupting communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying. So instead of saying those things which corrupt, whether that's gossip or whether that is, you know, angry, vindictive speech or whether that is gossip or whatever it is. Instead, I speak that which is good to the use of edifying, that which spiritually strengthens, encourages, and supports following after Christ and honoring God's word and giving glory to God. Okay? But then what is the change thought here? What is that what is that change there that it may minister grace unto the hearers? God, I want my life to minister your grace, your supernatural grace. Lord, change my heart so you can change my speech because the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So as my nature is changing, you know what should change? As my nature is being changed, my speech should be changing. From that which is corrupt or talking after corrupt and ungodly things to talking after those things which spiritually encourage, build up, and edify, which promote the glory of God and encourage others towards Christ. Because I want my life to minister grace to others. And then look at this. And I think that this is one of those key thoughts of this passage. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. What grieves the Holy Spirit of God? The former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Anything that is fleshly in our lives grieves the Spirit of God. So grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. I've not only been given the gift of eternal life, I not only have been 
born into the family of God. Not only have I been purchased as God's own special possession, and I am his servant, and what an honor to be able to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. But he has given me, he himself indwells me in the person of his Holy Spirit, and is the guarantor and the evidence to me that I have eternal salvation. Why would I grieve the one who has been so good to me? And then look at this. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Again, that'd be a message just in itself, wouldn't it? Put those things off. That's all corrupt old flesh, old man nature. And then verse 32, and be kind one to another, tender hearted. Folks, there's a difference between, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be polite, okay? Don't misunderstand me. But there's a difference between merely being polite and being genuinely kind. Jesus Christ was not merely formally polite. He was truly personable and graciously kind. And God wants us to emulate the character of our Savior and be kind when allowed, tender-hearted. Oh, the compassion of Christ, forgiving one another. What is the key thought there? So I put off bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. I'm putting on kindness and forgiveness and compassion towards those who have been evil and wrathful and malicious and unkind and hateful to me. But what is that transforming scriptural thought, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you? Man, I tell you what, there's nobody who has sinned against me as much as I sinned against God. It's foolish to even think of any kind of comparison like that. I have been forgiven such an incredible sin debt by the Savior how in the world can I not celebrate that forgiveness by withholding forgiveness from somebody else? They haven't sinned against me nearly as, as terribly as against I've sinned against God. There, there is such a quantum leap difference between those that really can't even be compared. But because I have been forgiven, and to the same extent and in the same way in which I have for, been forgiven, I am to follow my Savior's example to forgive others. So, I was unrighteous and unholy, but now I am cleansed and justified. I was enslaved by sin, but now I'm a servant of righteousness. I am putting off the old nature and putting on the new nature. And then here's the last one, number four. I am growing in grace, and I am becoming closer to Jesus in my friendship with him. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I find it very interesting that the Apostle Peter is the one who the Spirit of God prompted to write this in the eternal scriptures for us. He was part of that inner circle, was he not? He, Jesus had probably more personal interaction with Peter than any of the other apostles, at least what's recorded in the Gospels. And he writes to us and he says, led by the Holy Spirit to write it in eternal scripture, grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Someone has said, I'm not yet the man I ought to be, but thank God I'm not the man I used to be. I'm growing. God is changing me. I trust that that is something that you could, with clear conscience before the Holy Spirit, give testimony to. Hey, I'm not the man or the woman that I ought to be. 
Not yet, but thank God I'm not the person I used to be. I am growing. God is changing me. What a wonderful confirmation or assurance of salvation. I don't know whether I heard this from Les Olala or King Collier or who it was, but I know I've heard this at the wilds often. And I've said it here, where there is life, there's growth. Where there is growth, there is change. Now tonight, after the VBS meeting, uh, a bunch of the college and career, we're going to go over to the Dwyer's house and invade them and have a wonderful time with food and fellowship and games. And that's going to be a lot of fun. We're really going to enjoy that. But what if I had said to my college and career class, hey guys, next Saturday, I want you to get here by nine. I want you to all bring your lawn chairs, bring your favorite snack. I've got this oak tree in the backyard. We're going to sit around and watch it grow. Woo-hoo! Uh-huh. Uh, that, what, what else are we going to do? Nothing. We're just going to watch the oak tree grow. <laughs> You'd be calling the paddy wagon and sending Pastor Todd to the funny farm, right? Uh, because you don't, there's not a whole lot that's exciting in watching a, a, an oak tree grow. You're not going to sit there even all day staring at it intently, never looking away and say, Aha, I saw it change. But guess what? Over time, that tree will grow. Uh, my wife uh, grew up in Longmont, Colorado. And when we've been out there, we've driven past. And her grandpa planted a blue spruce tree in the front yard. It's just a little thing. And last time we were by that house, it about overgrew the half of the front yard. It was huge. Over many years, it kept growing. Where there is life, there is growth. Where there is growth, there is change. If you have eternal life, then God wants you to grow. And if you are growing in Christ, you will be changing. Not just on the inside, but also in your daily living. Why is the outside important? Because it is our life that the world observes and sees Christ so that he can receive the glory. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. We'll get our ushers ready. We're going to take our summer camp offering in just a couple of minutes. But before we do that, before our minds shift to that, I want you just to take a moment or two to say, Lord, if you're saved, thank you for saving me, for cleansing me from my sin. I was dead in trespassing sin. I was condemned. I only had the sin nature. I was a slave of sin. I was so deceived. I thought I was running my own life. But now I realize that I was just the slave of sin. But now I'm the servant of righteousness. Now I'm born again. Now I have life. God, what a wonderful assurance, though I am far from perfect, that I'm seeing you change my life. But perhaps the Spirit of God pointed out something tonight, whether it was from the Ephesians 4 passage or one of the other statements that we made where you'd say, you know what? Spirit of God spoke to me about that. There's something in my life that God wants to encourage or he wants to strengthen and grow or something that he needs to change. And would you right now just acknowledge that before God and ask him through his Holy Spirit to remind you of that this week? And for him to do that transforming work, would you just submit yourself and say, God, this is what you spoke to me about. And I want you to know that I am willing and available and open for you to change me however you see fit. Because, God, I want to bring you glory. Change me to be more like Jesus in whatever that area is in your life.
All right, you can look this way. Ushers, if you'd come. We have a number of our young people that are going to be doing summer camp ministry. Um, I know Caitlin Scoggins.